Would you turn with me to Galatians chapter 5? Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we do praise you for every grace. We praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the source and channel and basis of your graces to us. In his name, we pray now that you would open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things from your word. Give us understanding and we will observe your word and keep it with our whole heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Amen. Permit me to label the message, Cultivating Christ-likeness. Cultivating Christ-likeness. The date was February 12th, 1728. It was the 65th birthday of Cotton Mather. He was on his sick bed and would die the following day. But on that day, as his son Samuel visited him, he asked his dying father for clothing words of advice. And it is said that Mather uttered one word, the word that had consumed him in life and now in death, fruitful. May that be the consuming passion of our lives, our faith walk, and our gospel ministries, that we would be fruitful, the good of others, and the glory of God. Fruitfulness is an off-used metaphor in the Bible for spiritual usefulness. The picture of fruitfulness in the scriptures describes typically conduct performed for the good of others and the glory of God. But in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, the emphasis here on fruit bearing focuses more on our character than our conduct. The Apostle Paul had gone into the province of Galatia to proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sinners heard the good news of salvation, repented and trusted Christ for salvation. After Paul's departure, however, religious zealots arrived preaching what Paul will call another gospel of faith plus works. And these false teachers seduced these young Christians away from their simplicity of faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul writes this letter back to them to clarify and simplify for them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Chapter 5, verse 1 begins with the golden verse of Galatians. 
for freedom. Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Faith in Christ sets us free from bondage to religious rules and rituals and regulations. But freedom is not free. Verse 13 of this chapter says, yes, you were called to freedom, brothers, but only do not use freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. What does that life look like? Or, or more importantly, what does that life require? In verses 16 through 18, Paul says, but I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Here Paul describes the Christian life as spiritual warfare. The flesh and the spirit are in constant conflict with one another. And the enabling help of the Holy Spirit is the only way we can overcome the desires of the flesh. That spirit-led life is not something mystical. It is a life of faith and obedience. And in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, Paul explains the spirit-led life in practical terms. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, fruitfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. The question I want to raise in the message today is a question that I hope is a burning question in your heart and mind. How can I cultivate Christ-likeness in my life? Here we are told that God the Holy Spirit cultivates Christ-likeness in those who are rooted in him. And so I want us to consider what this passage says about the fruit of the Holy Spirit from three perspectives. First, would you consider the stark contrast? Verse 22 begins with a contrasting conjunction that reveals the tension of the text. But. And what Paul is presenting here in the progression of the text is that there are two ways to live. You, you can live by what the flesh produces or by what the spirit produces. Notice what the flesh produces, verses 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. I warned you, I warned you as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He lists 15 sins here in this catalog of vices, but the emphasis is on the nature of them, not the number of them. Notice at the beginning of verse 19, he says, now, 
which is an important reminder. He's speaking in real time, reminding us that this list of sins remain sins. God has not changed his mind about anything on this list. Now he says the works of the flesh, meaning not our physical flesh, but our sinful nature that produces sinful conduct. He says the works of the flesh are evident. If you walk according to your fleshly sinful desires, the result will obviously, inevitably, publicly be those things that the flesh produces that are not of the kingdom of God. This is a terrible list, but which you note that at the end of this list, Paul wants to make it clear that this list is not exhaustive. He says a word of condemnation, not only against every listed vice, but against things like these, which is a subtle but significant lesson about godliness. You don't grow in godliness by towing the line of temptation and seeing how close you can get to sin without falling over into the cliff. You are to avoid any and everything that is against the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. These representative vices are things that Paul says, verse 21, are things we need to be constantly warned about. Yes, let me put a footnote here and give a word of counsel to those who would preach the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever the Lord would call you. Faithfulness requires that you be not a respecter of men and stand to say what tickling ears want to hear. Faithfulness to the truth will require that you warn the saints. Paul says, I warn you and I have warned you before that the person whose life is characterized and dominated by these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If, if, you, if your life is characterized by what the flesh produces, he says, it is evident that you are not a child of God. Yes, those of us who are Christians may commit these sins, but a life that is characterized and dominated by these works of the flesh give evidence that they are on their way to hell, not to heaven. It is a list that we should consider. Run to the cross where the mercy and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is found. But then he says, in contrast to what the flesh produces is what the spirit produces. Verses 19 through 21 list the works of the flesh. Verse 22 and 23 list the fruit of the spirit. And the contrast is between the flesh and the spirit. Romans 8 Verse 9 says that anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But when you repent of your sins and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, God the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your heart immediately, completely, and permanently. And he lives within us so that he might fill us with his presence for the purpose of sanctification. The Holy Spirit works to produce holy saints. Ephesians 4.30 warns us not to grieve the Holy Spirit. And that word grieve means exactly what it means when we mourn the death of a loved one. 
The Holy Spirit is grieved by our sin. But thanks be to God, he does not abandon the believer. It is by him we have been sealed until the day of redemption. He, he is grieved. And in his grief, the Holy Spirit confronts us so that he might convict us, so that he might convert us. The Holy Spirit is determined to uproot the works of the flesh in us and to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit in us. And so the question, as you consider these two contrasting lists, is simply this. You need to meditate on these lists, and I do regularly, and ask, how are things between you and the Lord Jesus Christ? There's, things are not right in your relationship if your life is characterized by things that reflect one who is hateful and miserable and anxious and impatient, unkind or evil or unfaithful or disagreeable or undisciplined because the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so after the stark contrast, would you consider with me, secondly, the spiritual cluster? Let's just lean in and ask, what is the fruit of the Spirit? The, the meaning of the fruit. I grew up in the church culture <laughs> where it was regularly asked, what are your spiritual gifts? I don't ever remember hearing anyone ask, where is your spirit fruit. But it should be a matter of both and, not either or. The gifts of the Spirit give us power to serve. The fruit of the Spirit is about our character. One who has the fruit without the gift is useless, but the, the one who has gifts without the fruit is dangerous. We need the gifts of the Spirit and the graces of the Spirit. And would you note that here is listed, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits of the Spirit. The singular here emphasizes the unity of this ninefold description. The fruit of the Spirit is not you going to the fruit section in the grocery store and picking what you prefer and leaving behind what you don't like. This ninefold fruit go together. There is a real sense in which the presence of love does not excuse the absence of self-control. The presence of joy does not excuse the absence of gentleness. The presence of peace does not exclude the absence of kindness. These fruit go together in a unified cluster. Fruit here is a picture of a spiritual productive life. We are given gifts so that we might be useful. We need fruit that we might be usable. Faithful Christians are fruitful Christians. 
It is to grow organically, but not independently. These are not the things that we produce. In fact, this list, like the list of vices, is not, is not exhaustive. It is representative. It is really representative of the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. And quiet. In the quiet chambers of your own prayer ground, let me just encourage you to meditate on this ninefold fruit and consider how it was on display in the life of Jesus Christ. And the, the fruit here is meant to say that the Holy Spirit is at work in us to con conform us, Romans 8:29, to the image of the Son. That is God's primary purpose for our lives to conform us to the character of Jesus Christ. It happens by incarnation, not by imitation. God the Holy Spirit is cultivating Christ-likeness in those who are rooted in him, or if I can say it the way I like to say it. It is the will of God to have the Spirit of God use the Word of God to make the children of God look like the Son of God. Notice the manifestation of the fruit. There are here ninefold fruit that I would want you to consider with me in three ways. May I suggest, it's not a hard distinction in the list, but would you consider with me that the first fruit mentioned here represent Godward dependence. Godward dependence. Love is the first and foremost of the fruit. It is not an emotion. Love is what you do. And this love is rooted in God's love for us. It is, it is self-sacrificing action that seeks the highest good of the one loved even if the one loved is not worthy of the love. Joy, of course, is more than happiness. Happiness is thing-centered, people-centered, or event-centered. But joy is satisfaction in the sufficiency of God who has given us his son, who through the crucifixion and resurrection of his son is our our all-sufficiency for everything in which then we delight in him. So much so that James 1 says, we can count it all joy even when we are going through various trials. Peace is not merely the absence of conflict, it's the presence of contentment. Peace is spiritual climate control. It is a sense of contentment rooted in the assurance that God has everything under control. But then after Godward dependence, the fruit then reflects outward devotion. Patience here is about dealing with not difficult circumstances, but difficult people. It is, as the old translations render it, long-suffering. It pictures forbearance and forgiveness. 
It is to be slow to anger when one is severely provoked. One commentator said, it is the grace of a man who can retaliate but chooses not to. Kindness is not so much about what we do but how we do it. It is to act with the sense of sympathy and charity and generosity. It is to treat others in a real sense as, as God has treated us in Christ. Goodness is moral and spiritual excellence. Later in chapter 6, verse 10, Paul will summarize the call to Christian duty by saying that as you have the opportunity, do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And so the first three fruit reflect Godward dependence, the next three fruit reflect outward devotion. And may I suggest the last three fruit here reflect inward discipline. Faithfulness is the word for faith, but here it is presented as the fruit of faith. The one who has faith is one who should be characterized as faithful. It is constancy. It is trustworthiness. It is dependability. It is one who does his duty until his duty is done. Gentleness, the word here, is often called one of the most untranslatable words in the New Testament. It is the picture of a, an animal that has been tamed and harnessed and thus is useful. It is often translated as meekness, an older word that regularly needs to be clarified that meekness is not weakness, but it is strength under control. And so there is the stark contrast, there is the spiritual cluster, and thirdly, let me say a word about the supernatural cultivation. I just want to wrap this message up by reminding us that this fruit of the Spirit is cultivated, not manufactured. No, it's not merely a passive let go and let God. What you find in this fruit of the Holy Spirit is a call to maturity, a call to productivity, and a call to liberty in Christ. There is a call to spiritual maturity. The fruit of the Spirit here describes a spiritual transformation. It is the work of God, the Holy Spirit, that cannot be counterfeited by human wisdom, energy, or resources. It is more than, than civil righteousness. It is the work that only God, the Holy Spirit, can do in us. It has well been said that every act falls into three categories, bad, bad, good, bad, and good, good. Bad, bad is to do the wrong thing for the wrong reason. Good, bad is to do the right thing for the wrong reason. Good, good is to do the right thing for the right reason. Anyone can do bad, bad. The unbeliever at best can only do good, bad. Only the one who has trusted in Christ and whose spirit lives in him can do good, good. Can do sincerely good to others for the glory of God. 
This is what these, this fruit of the Spirit describes. William Steele succinctly saying that the growing Christian is someone who has learned to do natural things spiritually and spiritual things naturally. And so let me pause and ask you, is it evident that you are maturing? This process of maturing in Christ-likeness requires time, and it, it is a labor-intensive process that involves prayer and scripture intake and service and fellowship and trouble. May I suggest that you are as spiritually mature as the most immature fruit in your life. So this text calls on each of us to do a fruit inspection. Consider the ways that we need to grow up. But it is also a matter called a Christian productivity. Yes, the, the gifts of the Spirit are tools to work with, not toys to play with. But the same must be said about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is not about you. It is about Christ and others. John 15, 26, Jesus says, when the Spirit comes, he will bear witness to me. John 16, 14, Jesus says, when the Spirit comes, he will glorify me. The Holy Spirit, if you will, is the shy member of the Trinity. He is never highlighting or spotlighting himself. He is always exalting the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it is with one who has cultivated Christ-likeness by the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It will seek to do good for others to the glory of God. And so the question is this morning, the second question that we need to ask is this, how do you taste? That, that question cannot be answered by introspection. This fruit of the Spirit is identified, is manifested, and is demonstrated in relationship to other believers. The fruit of the Spirit is cultivated in the soil of relationships. Let me tighten that up. The fruit of the Spirit is often cultivated in the soil of messy relationships. I wish it was as simple as I go to bed and pray at night and then wake up and find out while I was asleep, the Holy Spirit did a heart transplant and made me a more loving person. It doesn't work like that. Do you know how the Lord teaches us how to be loving? He puts us in relationship with people who are hard to love and then asks, how do you taste? How does the Lord teach us patience? I'll tell you. He puts you in relationship with people in your family, on your job, in ministry. He puts you in relationship with people who get on your last nerve. And then ask, how do you taste? The fruit of the Spirit are character traits, not specific actions. And so you find the fruit of the Spirit the way you determine 
the ripeness of regular fruit. You squeeze it. Where you are in Christ is demonstrated by how you respond when life puts the squeeze on you. May I suggest that these two verses are great to meditate on in the early watches of the day in your time of communion with God. And just pray through this list. And say, Lord, I don't know who you're going to bring in my path today, but help me to choose love. Lord, there will be dangerous toils and snares over the course of the day that I may not know about, but help me by your spirit to choose joy. It'll be a busy day of study and ministry and family. But Lord, by your spirit, help me to be anxious for nothing, but to choose peace. And the enabling help of the Holy Spirit is at work to cultivate this and display this fruit in our lives. It is a call of the Christian maturity, a call to Christian productivity, and, and finally a call to Christian liberty. As I was working on this passage a week or so ago to preach to my own congregation, I, I can't help but think about my dad. I, I um, grew up in Los Angeles. And um, I remember someone broke into the church office at my father's church, 18th Gramercy on Los Angeles. And I remember riding with my father to the church to meet workers who were coming to install bars on the church office door and, and windows. And as my dad sat watching them there, he just collapsed into tears. And when he calmed down, and I asked him what the matter was, he told me that he remembered when he was a boy, the church his daddy pastor didn't have any locks on it at all. At any time during the day, anyone could just come in to pray and meet with God. And it grieved him that he had lived long enough to see the day where bars had to be installed to keep people locked out. I don't know, that, that picture keeps coming to my mind as I consider this passage. In a greater, deeper, higher way, I believe it grieves the Holy Spirit when the only way to get us to live right is to just keep putting bars up. I think that's the spirit, at least, of the closing phrase. What a remarkable understatement. Against such things there is no law. Godliness is not legislated. The Gospel Transformation Study Bible says this is not a checklist of behavior, but the unifying blossoming of a heart that is liberated by the gospel of grace. The fruit of the Spirit is a call to freedom. This is not legislated acts. In fact, really, you have no control over the process of fruit cultivation because most often the Holy Spirit cultivates fruit of the Holy Spirit by putting us in opposite situations. And as you're growing, 
Sometimes you'll find yourself even surprised by fruit. Have that, has that ever happened to you? More than working through a, a legislated system of godliness, you, you are surprised by fruit as it cultivated. You, you, you get through that conversation and you say, boy, the Lord must be working on me because if the old me would have been in that conversation, they would have got told off, right? Hallelujah, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ sets us free from to-do list religion. And he says to us, if you continue in my word, abide in my word, remain in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Praise the Lord for the gifts that he has invested in you and will use in Christian service to spread the gospel and build up the church. But I encourage you, friends, pray that the starting place would be the cultivation of the fruit of the Spirit in your life in this season. That all that you do for the Lord in the ministry will be the overflow of a heart of devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that sets us free, that opens a new and living way to you by his blood and righteousness. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit who lives within us so that as we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, we have the assurance that you are at work within us to will and to do for your good pleasure. And I pray, Lord, that every sphere of our lives would be brought under the authority of the Lordship of Jesus Christ, that indeed our labors for Christ would be from the overflow of our hearts of devotion to him. And that he would be glorified as we mature in Christ-likeness to the praise of your glory. Granted, we pray in his name. Amen.